Did you see the stylish kids in the riot? Shoveled up like mocks, said the night on fire, wombles bleed. Truncheons and shields, you know I cherish you, my love. Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm Jason. Good everyone. It is the 22nd of April and this is episode 106. We've got a big show for you guys coming up. We're going to be talking to Gideon Rosner, great friend of the podcast. He uh, is going to be telling us about what happened with Dr. Peter Ridd last week. A big victory. A big victory for freedom of speech. The biggest victory for freedom of speech in a generation, as Gideon said in a media release. So we're going to be looking forward to talking to him about that what the outcome means for freedom of speech at universities and what it means for the climate change debate. And we're going to be talking about a few other things with Gideon as well. We're also going to be talking to Tim Andrews, another friend of the podcast. He is uh, setting up the Freedman Conference over in Sydney. It is always one of the best events of the year for libertarians and liberal-minded thinkers in Australia. So we're going to be talking to him about some of the speakers that have uh, coming over to Australia, some of the people that he's excited to hear from and where people can buy tickets because you do not want to miss this one. No, it's meant to be the biggest one in history. Wow. Of the biggest, world. Biggest freedom of speech victory in a generation and the biggest freedom event in history. That's right. So big, big, cup, big show. <laughs> a bigger show than I was uh, prepared for, to be honest. Now, before we kick off, James, yes. can we just let the viewers know? Uh, viewers. The st- Interesting. <laughs> Listeners know. I will continue hosting this podcast. The state of your uh, well-being. I know you're coming off three weeks of the Melbourne Comedy Festival where you've been burning the candle at both ends. That's just finished up on the weekend. How do you feel? Uh, There's a bit of letdown. People might hear in my voice that uh, my body has caught up to me. I really, it was a marathon, like, it was the end of a marathon this weekend. It was just just trying to get through the days, uh, falling apart, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Really fun time. Thank you. I'm voting on you not being okay. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Next week's podcast might be very interesting. Might be someone else here. But anyway, thanks for everyone who came out. Uh, Comedy Festival is always the best. So uh, thank you. That's all I'll say about that. Nice one. Um, Let's get into some actual stories that people care about. So uh, I want to start off. We probably should start off with the biggest victory for freedom of speech in a generation. So Peter Ridd up against James Cook University. We talked to Gideon about it through the case of the wrongful dismissal. Because Peter stood up to uh, other JC, uh, well, I, I guess you know it was like he was criticizing other JCU scientists mm. about Great Barrier Reef research, and he got in a lot of trouble. And the university said, "You're out." It started with IPA's climate change facts 2017. Yes, it his did. chapter. So in that. Uh, you know, it's deeply woven into IPA folklore, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so wrongful dismissal because he spoke out against climate change. Uh, sorry, the Great Barrier Reef research. So a whole lot of things going on there, like the yep. climate change debate. What is freedom of speech? Can you criticize, you know, uh, James Cook University? Can you criticize your employees like that? A lot of really cool stuff. And Judge Vasta, the judge over here in the case, uh, dis- like disagreed with uh, James Cook University on all counts. Peter was fine. He was fine to do everything that he did. And uh, yeah, the IPA came out with a media release on the day, calling it the biggest victory for freedom of speech in a generation. I'll quote here from the media release from Gideon Rosner, which you can read at ipa.org.au. This judgment should rightly send shockwaves to Australian universities regarding their commitment to academic freedom and how they deal with academics who hold a contrary view to the established groupthink. Today's decision is a huge win for academic freedom and freedom of speech in Australia. This is something the IPA has been fighting for for years and we will continue to do so so we're going to be talking to Gideon a lot more in depth about mm-hmm. it later in the show but Pete what were your initial reactions well obviously a big thank you has to go out to all the people a lot of who are IPA members who financially supported Peter Reid in this case with yeah. his um with his campaign for that so that was fantastic thank you very much to those people uh hopefully this emboldens other academic students and administrators to speak out if they feel like they're being unfairly treated 
uh, at universities. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's one of the big takeaways is that there's probably a whole lot of academics out there who want to speak up on issues such as climate change, maybe some other ones where they go against a group think they've been scared into silence because, uh, man, Peter's legal fees were quite substantial. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to echo Pete's sentiment. Thanks for everyone who supported it. Um, but, you know, young academics can't afford that sort of stuff. So yeah, exactly. it's really good to know that there is now a precedent. Yeah, if you do speak out on issues that go against groupthink, you are going to be protected. That's right. And with the French review coming down a couple of weeks ago, this, you know, maybe a bit of a turning point for free speech at universities in Australia. Hopefully. All right. So, yeah, like we'll be talking to Gideon about that, you know, in 20 minutes time for the people that are listening to this podcast right now. So that's something to look forward to. That is very <laughs> yeah. exciting. Yes. Uh, all right. So... Uh, Pete, let us now talk about the Brexit Party. Well, the Brexit Party, our leading Brexit uh, intellect, the, yeah, the leading mind on the, all issues of Brexit in this podcast of a generation. So, when we, Brexit political party, not parties in traditional sense, um, has emerged. Nigel Farage has launched his Brexit Party as a result of the failure of the the government in the UK to get Brexit through. Um, so, the EU elections are going to happen in May as a result of Brexit of um, the elites in. Britain yep. uh, rejecting democracy and not getting Brexit done. So what has happened, Nigel Farage has launched a Brexit party that's going to contest these elections. A staggering 40% of Conservative councillors say they will back his party. Three quarters of Tory councillors want the Prime Minister to quit. Uh, no, there's one, there's one local Conservative group that took the extraordinary step of refusing to help with the 23rd of May EU elections. Uh, Farage only launched... Farage, I should mention, friend of the podcast. Yes, Absolutely. So, you know, his career's really taken off since that happened. The the podcast bump. That's it. That's yeah. what we like to call it. So he launched, launched his Brexit party nine days ago. One poll last week put its support at 27%, well ahead of Labor, which is only 22%, and the Tories, which is only 15%. Um, at, a, at a rally on Saturday, Mr Farage said, I will do my best to upset and irritate every single European leader. I promise to be more obstructive and difficult than I have ever been in previous times, which would take some doing, because yeah. as we know, Farage was a real... What do, you, what, what do you call it? Flying the ointment. Yeah, exactly. That's a saying that my nanny used to say. He, he said in another interview I saw, like, I said when I come back to politics, it'd be no more Mr. Nice Guy. Mm. I didn't think he was Mr. Nice Guy when he was in Wait, politics. It was so such a pushover. If that, was, if that was Mr. Nice Guy, the next couple of months are going to be electric. Oh, it should be awesome. A few other stats for you. So it's already got 60,000 paid up supporters in just nine days since the launch, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, voters have stumped up 1.5 million pounds to help him out. Okay. And there's a new member coming every 30 seconds. So really? So uh, it's going really well. Can I make an official prediction for this podcast? And I, we, I've become addicted to official podcast predictions ever since Evan was on last week. Look, we haven't discussed this, but okay. Yeah, question uh, prediction without notice. They're going to win the uh, EU elections. I'm calling that one right now. They are. They're going to yeah. be the leading party because well, yeah, I just I reckon there's just so many people um, that are going to be fed up with the other two parties and how they've treated Brexit and they're just going to vote for Farage. Well, you've really gone on, gone out on a limb there, James, with the state of the polls, um, but I think... I, I didn't know about the polls until Pete read them out. <laughs> oh, I did So... Uh, okay. But uh, yeah, I reckon they're going to absolutely nail it. Uh, well, yeah, I think you're right. Brendan O'Neill wrote in Spike that this is the biggest issue in Britain for generations. Uh, levellers to the Peterloo marches, to the Chartists, to the suffragettes, fought for and died for the institutionalisation of democracy uh, and now it's under threat. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's going to be awesome. I, I look when I was, when I was talking about these elections that were going to happen if Brexit didn't go through, it didn't occur to me that something like this would happen. So now that I know that it's happening, uh, it's very exciting, and it actually I'm really pumped for them. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, it's, so watch this space because if Peter Gregory cares about one thing, it is certainly Brexit. It is because it's just democracy, and he is definitely going to be bringing us all the updates that. 
come in the next couple of weeks. All right, uh, I've got another story for you. So uh, some of you might have seen on Netflix the new documentary from David Attenborough, always a great like when David Attenborough's in a documentary, you know the world's just humming along. That's just like a sign that things are still going. But anyway, so David Attenborough's latest documentary has got him in a fair bit of trouble because there's one particular scene. Does anyone know the name of this documentary? Our Planet. The Our Planet. Good name for a documentary. So anyway, it's David yep. Attenborough going around Our Planet. I think that's where they get the title from. And just talking about the animals he sees. And he had one set in the Arctic and uh, there was a particular scene which really tugged at a whole lot of people's heartstrings of all these walruses that were committing suicide because of climate change like they were throwing throwing themselves off cliffs they lost hope they'd lost hope and uh you know they didn't see enough climate rallies and that was it for them but anyway that was their story was that climate change was forcing the walruses to a cliff uh they can't survive they kill themselves you guys stop uh exporting coal basically the idea yeah. Anyway, it turns out uh, that's ex- not exactly what was happening. I mean, walruses were throwing themselves off cliff. It wasn't climate change related. It was more polar bear related. Uh, mm-hmm. They were being hunted and polar bears would get to them and they thought, okay, well, let's not, you know, let's not pan left to the approaching polar bear. Let's just stay with the walruses and then talk about climate change for a while. Yeah, well, it's much more like, so Susan Crockford from the University of Victoria in British Columbia claims that it's much more likely that um, polar bears were causing them to walk down you know, the cliff and fall off rather than um, not do that. Yeah. <laughs> and also potentially the the uh, filmers of the documentary in terms of their drones and just yes. being there may also cause them to panic and jump off the cliff. Yeah, I saw that part, which is like, uh, so they, fl- yeah, the flying drones, the camera crew occupied one spot where the walruses could have retreated from the polar bear attack, but the camera crew had cut them off. So they went over the cliffs. Mm. And I just think, like, I just like the idea of the camera crew looking at themselves and how they obviously did them gone. This is a fault of big oil. <laughs> yeah. This is big all the, oil has done this. All those selfish people out there who want to warm their houses. No, yeah. that, but the, the, the key thing is like not whether why they fell off the cliff. I think I feel like the world's media has, has ruined this story, and Peter Gregory knows the truth. Um, <laughs> everyone's talking about what caused the walruses to fall off the cliff. The reason is that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not they should have been there. Yeah. And apparently, you know, if there's more ice, they're not going to be on the shore or climb up the cliff. Yes. That's the claim of the documentary makers. But and they claim that this incident where there's like thousands of walruses sitting on the beach is unprecedented. It has never happened before. However, there are studies that show that there was incidents like these in the sixties and seventies. Of course, when before global warming started uh, happening, crazy times back then. When anything, uh, anything went, when, yeah, exactly. Free love and the walruses. <laughs> um, and um, if I'm the camera crew and I'm trying to avoid people accusing it, uh, they you just got to come out with. Do you reckon walruses are scared of David Attenborough at this point? Walruses have seen David Attenborough more than they've seen anything else in their lives. Like hey, they're so comfortable <laughs> around David Attenborough as a species that they're just like, you know what, we're chill right now. David Attenborough is not a threat. He's just going to stare at us for a little bit and then he's going to be on his merry way. Exactly right. Yeah, so Walrus and David are on the first, nine, first name basis. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so because um, Walrus numbers had, had plummeted in the mid-20th century, but they rebounded in the 60s and 70s. Yep. Thus, all these walruses were found on beaches in North Russia where this happened in Alaska and things like that. Uh, various places, and then in the 90s, as walrus numbers plummeted again, it didn't happen, and now they actually think this might be a result of walrus numbers increasing. Right. Um, so, so because, like, is that like a population thing? Like, yeah, yeah. They, so they wa- just designate a few, all right, you're off the cliff. Like, there's too many of us, you, you're, you're gone. Well, I don't know how what they talk creepy, about it. What a creepy, creepy species. I don't know <laughs> how they talk thing. about it. Some of them end up on the cliff, and apparently walruses are pretty much blind, and right. they can fall off the edge. Yeah, but they are cute. They are. I don't reckon they're that cute, but it is. Oh, it was pretty that's, bad that's footage. That's the worst opinion you have. <laughs> they've got. They're fat and they've got big teeth. And yeah, come on, Nina, come on, back me up here. Walrus I wouldn't use cute. the word cute. 
right, Nina's, Nina's <laughs> getting a microphone. <laughs> Polar bear. Thank you for only getting the there microphone ten minutes into a podcast. So what's how Nina? Nina, one second. Just keep that microphone. What are you saying is cute? Polar bears. Polar bears cute. But not walruses. Walrus is okay. Well, walrus is uh, not up to my standard if you want to know my answer. Penguins? Oh. Penguins are cute. Yeah, there you go. This is... All right, fine. I'm on David Adam's side. Walrus is cute. Anyway, so that's about up just like how National Geographic had that thing with the sick polar bear because of yeah. climate change in 2017. I mean, we've been through this. Like, after Inconvenient Truth, you're going to have to try a little bit harder to convince us about these problems. It's it's actually quite funny how hard it is for them to find. And, like, surely how hard could it be just to find an animal? And Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Pete, let us talk about the Ukraine election. Okay, so the Ukraine election uh, recently occurred. It's Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Uh, this oh. nation of 44 million people just elected... I was referring to the election. I know. So well, actually. No, that was a separate oh, okay. point. Right. Okay. Um, just had just elected a comedian to be president-elect. Yep. Um, and this comedian, not he's not just any comedian, he's actually a comedian that has played a fictional Ukrainian president on TV, and he won 73% of the vote. His name is Volodymyr Zelensky, Ooh. a 41-year-old comedian, as I said. His TV show was a, was a Servant of the People in mm-hmm. 2016, where he was like a president that was fighting corruption, which is a massive problem in Ukraine, uh, and and standing up to the Russians, which is another massive problem in Ukraine. Uh, he's a young pro-Western entrepreneur, so there may be cause for hope that he can break the country's domestic policy gridlock and stand up to the Russians. Um, his campaign was very light on detail, which tends to be a feature of these campaigns around the world where individuals who are kind of from entertainment or sport outside the political elite get elected. So there was obviously Trump, Peter Garrett in Australia, Australia, Zali Stegel in 2015, uh, Zali Stegel also in Australia at the moment. Uh, Jimmy Morales in Guatemala uses an anti-corruption platform to win election as president of Guatemala. Liberia elected George Weyer, who's a soccer player in 2017. Imran Khan in Pakistan, who's a cricket player and Beppe Grillo, who started the five-star movement in uh, Italy and Arnie in California. This uh, raises an issue. So he plays a president on TV, right? This raises an issue for me. If Martin Sheen ran for president, like the the president from the West Wing, if he ran for president next oh, election, yeah. he would poll really well. Yeah. Because people are just dumb enough to just go like, oh, you look good in that TV show. Like, you seem presidential. Well, people being dumb is not our line, James. <laughs> <laughs> I just reckon there's enough people out there that would just go, uh, yeah, you seem presidential when he did that thing. So... Uh, Let's elect him. Well, and look, potentially, but I think people are also sick of the political elite in a lot of countries. Yes. And if you're an actor, you can actually deliver a line pretty well. Yeah. So there's probably like a lot better performers than, you mm. know, a yeah, lot of politicians. Seem sincere. Like yeah. almost, almost human. And convey, <laughs> convey, you know, emotions like trust. And yeah. Love. <laughs> love and hope and all integrity. Stuff, all these things I've been hearing about. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you guys still have moments where you're just like, Donald Trump is actually president. I have. I still catch that. myself every month, where I'm just like, "Yeah, Donald Trump is president." People get used that's to stuff. Wild, so quickly. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Anyway, because it's just, oh, that's never going to happen. It did happen. It, it is happening. Yeah. Um, all right. So we'll one into that because seventy three percent is a lot of the votes. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. All right. Uh, last story before uh, we get into some of the interviews. So. Uh, Nancy Pelosi gave an interview to a magazine this week and uh, she was talking to about internet censorship and this is uh, an issue that comes up every now and then. EU recently passing the link tax and, uh, mm. you know, there's also that uh, thing that's going to come up that's probably going to ban memes so it's going to be interesting to see yeah. where the US goes with internet regulation and if Nancy Pelosi has any say of it, uh, it's not going to go too well for uh, freedom of speech. So basically, there's this one part of regulation with the internet which is Section 230 which is you know, to summarize the way it is, is basically uh, 
companies can't be held responsible for what users put up on their platforms. That's right. And you think like that's really important in terms of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, where there's not a whole lot of original content from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, mm. but it's Pete, Nina, me, and all the people that are doing it. Particularly Nina. Particularly Nina on Twitter. Um, but anyway, it's those people that are making the content and Facebook and Twitter can just say, well, we're a platform, you know, people are just going to post things and sometimes it's going to be Pete's lunch and sometimes it's going to be oh, Nina's searing that. hatred <laughs> of James Bolt. But anyway, I... Uh, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. So, and that's a huge thing for freedom of speech because like as long as these uh, platforms are open debate, they can't really police, like well, they, like the government can't police what's said about them. Facebook and Twitter can take things off. Uh, but anyway, so Nancy Pelosi has now said that that section 230 is a gift and a privilege that can be rescinded if major tech companies, uh, I'm paraphrasing her quotes here, but they can be rescinded if major tech companies uh, don't play along with what the government wants them to do. Uh, here's a direct quote. Uh, for the privilege of two, Section 230, there has to be a bigger sense of responsibility on it and it's not out of the question that it could be removed. Sorry, Pete, what are your thoughts about internet censorship? Well, as this piece said that I read, um, it's a danger when Republicans and Democrats are sounding the same on this because Republicans are complaining about big tech bias against conservatives yeah. and Democrats are, as, are, are talking about the kind of things you've just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So... It's, it is a possibility that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act might be uh, eradicated, which would mean, as you say, these user-driven sites like Facebook and Twitter and stuff will be completely different if those sites have to completely moderate everything that's on them. Yeah. You know, effectively, what, is, what's that, what does that leave us with? Just online newspapers, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, YouTube's already going down this way in that... Uh, some channels, like I know Joe Rogan's been talking about this a bit, where Joe Rogan is now responsible for comments left on Joe Rogan videos, is which right? is extremely hard because he films live and he can't be interviewing someone and also scrolling through thousands of comments yeah. at the same time. And he pumps out his shows. Yeah, that's an impossible thing for him to do. So it'd be very bad for these giant websites that we all use if they have to comb through our comments. Because if I tag Pete in a meme, it might be five weeks until he sees it because it's just through that list of things people want to see it. So my memes are relevant. Like five weeks from now, they're not going to be funny. Um, yeah, so it's a huge thing. Yeah, and, huge. and for people that are like, oh, the government should step in to make sure that conservatives have a voice on these platforms. Like, mate. Like, really? We trust, like, after what we just heard Nancy Pelosi say, we really think that she'd be the most, uh, you know, clean arbiter of what can and can't be said on these platforms. Crazy talk. Crazy, uh, yeah, creepy stuff. All right, that's it. We've got to go talk to Gideon Rosner, who's been patiently waiting outside the studio, and we're going to be talking to Tim Andrews. But before we do, just run through some of the things the IPA has been doing last week. There's been a lot of Peter Reid stuff mainly, so if you do want to read more about the case and you want to read uh, Dr. Jennifer Marahassi's take, Gideon Rosner's take, that's all available on our website. You can also go read the 20 Policies to Fix Australia, which has become quite the uh, internet meme in Australia as uh, all these... Uh, outlets and get up is now talking about it which we'll be talking about later in the show they're all talking about this uh, the, the fears of the ipa's policies and i want to refer to them the fact that it is called 15 policies we would like to see but won't and five policies we don't want to see but will like we don't think that the government's going to take up too many of them so they maybe, can calm down maybe they'll take up be, all of them be great if they did be great if they did it also made nuffies of australian politics facebook page yes one of pete's favorites yeah well i didn't i actually didn't know it existed until someone <laughs> pointed that to me but yeah that's yeah, so uh, once we've made that, you've officially made the big time. Uh, okay, so thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We're available on all good podcast apps. Make sure you're subscribed on any of the ones that you want. Make sure you're telling your friends and family about the show. And if you are listening through our website, that's great. Thank you so much. But it'd be so much easier for you and better for us if you made us part of your feed. If you are listening, oh, geez, I'm... Yeah, he's about so to explode. It's, it's all downhill from here. Anyway, uh, if you are listening uh, through Apple Podcasts or iTunes, make sure you're leaving us that five... 
Five star. Oh my goodness, I'm limping to the finish line on this part. Five star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And if you are enjoying the uh, this podcast, make sure you're also downloading and subscribing to the Looking Forward podcast, where they take a more serious, in depth look at these issues and talk about the first principles behind them all. That's also available on all good podcast apps. Doc, uh, Scott Hargraves and Dr. Chris Berg are on that one. That comes out on Wednesdays. Uh, cool. Let's go to those interviews now. Oh, actually, before we do, Nina, if people are subscribed to both podcasts and they like what we do, maybe they want to support the people that supported RID, how can they go about uh, supporting the IPA? Well, you can support the IPA by becoming a member or asking your friends to become a member and just visit the website, ipa.org.au and click on the join button and starting as low as $22 per year, you can become one of the lowest voice of freedom in Australia. Cool. Now let's go to those interviews. Okay, we're now welcome back onto the show. Great friend of the podcast, IPA Director of Policy, Gideon Rosner. Great welcome back. friend. Thank Great you. Friend. Great to be here. It's a rare stratosphere that you've reached. BFFs. But, uh, you're there. BFFs indeed. So let's talk about last week for you because that was a huge week for Freedom of Speech in Australia and a huge week for Dr. Peter Reid. And you've been a guy that has been with Peter since the start of this case and, you know, before then, but... Mm. Like you, we've we've all seen the very cool photo of you with the legal team, <laughs> uh, suits, all in suits, and uh, so yeah. Talk about talk us through what last week was for you. Yeah, so it was one of those sort of happenstance things where I happened to be I happened to be with John Roscombe, you know, our boss, and Stuart Wood QC, Peter's barrister, and Peter up in Brisbane just to have a chat about next steps, talk about how the case went. We were sitting down for sort of a working lunch and Stu Wood got this text saying that the decision was due out due within, you know, an hour or a couple of hours. And sure enough, as we were sitting there, um, we got this judgment saying that Peter had won on every count. It found that all 17 decisions that were made by James Cook University against Peter Reid, whether it be his censures, whether it be his gag orders, whether it be his eventual sacking, were all completely invalid and went against uh, his um, right to academic freedom under his EBA. So it was a complete and total win. Needless to say, a bottle of champagne was soon ordered. It was a very, very good day. It was a stunning victory. I was going to say, when this judgment comes through, is this like Winning the grand final? Is there some kind of mad Monday scenario? Like what happens? When he it, can when only think of things through sport analogies. So <laughs> compare it to a sporting yeah. match. No, I like, I like the idea of a mad Monday. It wasn't a mad Monday for me because I actually had a media gig that night. In yeah, fact, I went on Andrew Bolt's show that night as well. So I couldn't turn up a bit dusty after a mad Monday. Yeah. This is Sky. the only show that a Bolt hosts so that you can turn up to a bit dusty. <laughs> and by gum, I do. This is the cool Bolt. This is yeah. the cool Bolt, yeah. Um, so, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a mad moment, but we did, look, we did enjoy the win. Uh, you know, we did uh, put, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back because it, and, and Peter especially, I mean, Peter has done what was, you know, a tough thing to do, come out against his former employer, come out publicly, uh, bell the cat on, A, some sloppy scientific standards uh, that related to climate change research, but also talk about the fact that he was gay, that he couldn't even talk about the fact that a lot of... Uh, science surrounding the myth that the Great Barrier Reef is dying isn't properly checked, tested or verified. So it, it, it was, uh, it vindicated his decision to not go quietly, to you know, raise the quarter of a million dollars he did from small donations and actually fight. It was a real Peter versus Goliath story. Yeah, and but like in the middle of the trial, I was following your Twitter account, at Gideon C. Rosner, for people that don't already follow yes, you. Yes, very lovely. Uh, please account. do. So <laughs> I was following you live tweeting the trial and it did seem like... Uh, Peter was definitely on the upper hand. Like, JCU's case wasn't very good. So were you surprised or... Were no, you- I wasn't because I saw... Yeah, and look, it's hard in 
I mean, I, I was a lawyer, but I wasn't a litigator, so I haven't spent that long inside a courtroom, not as a lawyer anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, the um, – just kidding for anybody listening. Um, the uh, I could tell that it wasn't going particularly well for the other side now, but it's difficult to tell because a lot of the time judges, they, put, they play devil's advocate. They test – um, uh, you know, opposing arguments and try to test the arguments of the of the other side. But even then, I saw the judge was exasperated by uh, JCU's argument and uh, the argument that, oh yes, we we aren't really attacking Peter's academic freedom, so to speak. Uh, we're just saying that he needs to be nicer and more mm. collegiate and respect the integrity. Yeah, collegiate of was such a weird word to keep using. Well, it it it, it look you cannot you cannot. Uh, made an obligation to be collegiate and uh, and and be nice and play nice with your colleagues at the same time as vehemently disagreeing with them. That a university is not a you know a polite club. It, yep. It's a place where ideas are tested sometimes vigorously. And the judge actually made the case during the the point during the case that um, you know people when Galileo first proposed a theory that the Earth revolved around the Sun. That was an enormously unpopular thing to say. Mm. But that's how we advance. Still is. Flat Earth. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm more concerned about the fact that the Earth is round. I think that needs to be (laughs) check-tested and verified. But um, but that isn't a difficult... A lot of the time, new scientific discoveries in the process of advancing the search for truth is not a pretty one a lot of the time we we, we yell we bang our fists sometimes that is healthy that is normal yep. humankind cannot move forward without vigorous uh scientific and, and indeed argument on a whole lot of other things and and the final point to make is this that this is why it's important because the case established that it's not just what you say it is how you say it that is protected as well so it's a very very important legal precedent to be putting out there yeah exactly because universities are like they seek truth and surely one of the most collegial things you can do at a university is push everyone around you to also seek the truth like james cook is actually uh, sorry uh, peter reed is actually doing the best thing by his colleagues by saying okay I, I disagree with that. Where's your evidence? Yep, correct. And and he is doing what academics should be doing. And I really hope that coming out of this, because you know the point I've made a lot of times is w- Peter has been very courageous in coming forward and belling the cat on this. But how many Peter Reeds are there who aren't coming forward, who are being silenced, who are being gagged, who are being sacked even, who aren't drawing attention to this? I hope now that a lot of other... Um, Academics, whether it be on climate science, whether it be on things like identity politics, are now less afraid to challenge the established orthodoxies by coming forward and and saying, you know, speaking their honestly held opinion, knowing that their right to academic freedom is protected by law. Do you think this, along with the French Review a couple of weeks ago, marks a kind of turning point in academic freedom in Australia? I think so. I'm not as optimistic on French. I think the French review was very good, but, you know, let's face it, we're likely to have a Labor government. I don't think they'll be rushing to protect academic freedom anytime soon. But I think more people are wise to it. And I think that the state of tertiary education in Australia is in crisis. I think people are understanding that. Universities are not the infallible institutions they once were because people know that there is an intellectual monoculture uh, at play here. So I hope that Eventually, we get more and more people demanding that, you know, if we're going to spend billions of dollars every year on creating these public squares of higher learning, the least we can do is expect that they are places, they are absolute free speech zones where any idea is tested. And if it's a lousy idea, you know, let it be tested, but let it be defeated by a better idea and not by a cadre of self-interested university administrators who are hell-bent on shutting down ideas that aren't good for their business model.
Okay, cool. So if you want to read more about what Gideon thinks about the Peter Reed case, head on over to ipa.org.au to read his media release. And we also had some other articles from Jennifer Barahasi uh, as well. Yes, get um, on Jennifer's blog. Yes. It's fantastic. Uh, so let's talk about uh, something else. So <clears throat> the election's coming up. We had Evan Mulholland come on the show last week and he gave us a, f- a few election predictions. Mm. Uh, Gideon, what have you seen so far from the election campaign? Oh, this is a weird campaign because, you know, as I said... You're an experienced campaigner as well, yes. Bounced around politics since I was 15 years old for my sins because I was clearly the coolest kid on the playground. But anyway, so I've been, you know, around politics. I worked in Canberra. I, I, you know, joined the Liberal Party at an early age, you know, and everything else. This is a weird campaign because, you know, Bill Shorten is in a really, really good position, as I said. You know, not that I'm thrilled about that, but he's likely to win. He should be bursting out of the blocks. He is about to become Prime Minister of the Commonwealth of Australia, um, but he's been so robotic, so grumpy. You know, he's in pole position to be the most powerful person in the country. He's acting like a mid-level manager who's turned up to work on Monday with a bad hangover. I don't really understand what's going on, but the thing that has really struck me is how tired and repetitive the... Well, major party campaigns, I'm pretty jaded with these days anyway, but the ALP campaign has been especially lazy. I mean... Uh, anybody who is on my Twitter account, Gideon C. Rosner, which you absolutely absolutely should follow for some great content. Um, <laughs> but the anybody who has seen, I, I posted a, uh, an a, a, a graphic, a tile that we were mentioning in the IPA because Daniel Wilde's excellent 20 policies um, piece was released last week with a number of things that government should do, which are mainstream Australian ideas, including privatising the ABC, something I've argued for extensively, as well as Chris Berg and Sinclair Davidson. So the ABC of the ABC, the ALP have taken that policy. Freudian slip there. Uh, yeah. Freudian. Well, yeah. What's the damn difference? Um, they have taken that idea and put it on this scary-looking gra- t- graphic, saying, "Will Scott Morrison sell off the ABC to fund his forty billion dollars of secret cuts?" So it, it struck me as this amazing, like it's not even making sense anymore. It took me a few days to actually work out what what they were on about because. You don't have to fund cuts. The, the cuts are the funding. So it, it, uh, what they're on about, I finally yeah. realised. I'm glad that. you said that because I was doing mental gymnastics over here going, what the hell does that mean, <laughs> like f- funding cuts? I was like, what? Yeah. Correct. And it's so I thought – it, it, and it's a proper a tile. It's not a hoax. It says authorised by N. Carroll, ALP Canberra. But somebody needs to tell N. Carroll how a budget actually works, how spending actually works. So uh, apparently what it means is because – Spending as a proportion of GDP is set to fall. Um, they've extrapolated that to um, to say that you know forty billion dollars of secret cuts are in the works. You just don't know what they are yet. But the, the ad to me just shows how bereft Labor's po- campaign in particular are of, of our ideas and actual arguments because this is like Jackson Pollock style politics. You know, you just fling a few buzzwords onto a graphic, um, throw it out there into the interwebs and hope for the best. It's simplistic. It literally makes no sense. And it treats the electorate like idiots. And the worst part is that this mob will be in power soon. I mean, this is what Bowenomics looks like, the most simplistic, um, lowest common denominator garbage. So... Yeah, I'm 31 years old and I'm sounding like a cranky old man, but this is the... <laughs> Which the is a real change for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in this line of work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, we're very optimistic of the IPA. Yeah, that's the thing, because like, as, as awesome as it would be for the government to sell off the ABC, yeah. as much as I would yeah. like to see it, we've seen nothing. We have seen literally nothing yeah, about... 
that, them that, wanting to do that. That's the worst bit. I wish it was true. I wish they were planning on cutting $40 billion worth of wasteful spending and privatising the ABC. I'd be probably doing a lot more campaigning than I am this time Yeah, around. exactly. And so, supporting a actually, flat tax. Yeah, and who's actually believing any of this? Like, does anyone actually believe Scott Morrison sitting there going, man... Can't wait to get in and sell off the ABC. Well, I mean, they're pushing it because it's, I mean, you know, the, these things are often focus group and then they share their lives. Yeah. They get 10 ring, random punters into a room and say, you know, so they, they've obviously come back as as having think it's thought it's believable, but um, it's just so repetitive. You know, cuts are on the way, cuts to health, cuts to education. You know, there's no discussion of how to actually make these services work better. There's no discussion, for example, in education. This is the thing that really gets me. The, the, the label will say, well, you know, Fund and, and liberals fall into the same trap. We have increased spending by X billion, X million. Now, that's all very well and good, but there is never any discussion about how we can mm. improve the curriculum, how yeah. we can improve school values, how we can improve school choice. This is a very important area of public policy. It deserves better than to have this meaningless and idiotic bribing war where, you know, where well, we're going to give you a school, a free school hall. We're going to give your kid a free iPad. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, we really need proper debate sophisticated nuanced ideas and and maybe if the liberal party had campaigned for example in education on values and quality and choice and standards they might not be in the precarious position they're in now <sighs> rand over <laughs> is this is this the first time the ipo's made an attack ad in an election oh, I, I i don't think it's the first time and i don't think it'll be the last time yeah i hope they're not the last time for sure uh so we had evan la- on last week and he gave us a few official evan Mulholland predictions did you want to throw any of your own in the hat like anything you seeing in your own crystal ball yeah look i'm not going to make a prediction but what i will say is that nobody has been more pessimistic about the coalition's electoral prospects for the last three years than i have I, from oh, there's the, a few people at the ipa that might challenge you for that time. well you know from the day malcolm turnbull the great communicator who uh if you follow on my Twitter account, you'll say I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, you know, squeaked by last time, I knew that the Liberals' goose was basically cooked. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is you could dig up Robert Menzies and reanimate him and you couldn't win this election because the Liberal Party have just, you know, A, not pursued an ambitious enough policy agenda to my mind and secondly, you know, ever since they cut down Tony Abbott, they've, um, you know, people are sick of that kind of garbage. Uh However, what I will say is for the first time, I'm thinking that Scott Morrison may be able to pull it off. To his credit, he's been, you know, again, I think he can go further on, on some policy positions, but he has been disciplined, he's been energetic, he's he's fighting for his life. And again, I make the point, Shorten is just, I don't know why he is so flat. I just can't understand it. Uh, I just think his programming's just been a bit off. He wasn't, you know, programmed to feel joy. Uh, it, it, is a software, it is a software upgrade, yeah, the exactly. billboard. Um, Sometimes it's hard to chase a small total. So, yeah, so anyway, look, my prediction is, it's not a prediction, but I think the chances have gone from 95-5 in favour of Labor to 80-20 in favour of Labor. Okay, well, we'll bring you back on a few weeks. Uh, and put some bets any... on the coalition, kids. Get yeah. on sports bet. Oh, uh, if you... <laughs> I did. Gamble responsibly. Yeah, gamble responsibly. <laughs> but yeah, I've had a few people say, and, like, in a two-horse race, like... Maybe just go with the Liberal Party. You never know. But yeah. Well, yeah, look, you know, I'll, I'll I'll vote for them because you know I'm a party member and. Uh, oh, I was yeah. thinking gambling. I'm not thinking. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, yeah. a wager. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know the the odds are still pretty good, so it's worth a tenner, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. All right, so Gideon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we'll Gideon see Rosner. We'll go for a third plug. Why not? And yeah. uh, yeah, got to chase so, the followers. Got to chase the likes. Yes, because there's so, I'm a millennial, <laughs> and there's a whole lot more to come with this uh, James Cook University case with Dr. Peter Ridd. So we'll have you back on when the next uh, development comes. Here, here, cool. Say, so, mate. Okay, we now welcome back onto the show Executive Director of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance, Tim Andrews, coming in from Washington DC. Tim, thanks so much for joining us on the show. 
thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's great to be on. All right, brilliant. So we got the Freedman Conference coming up. Now, this is a big time. It is being billed as the biggest Freedman Conference in Asia-Pacific history. Uh, so tell us about this conference. Absolutely. So the Freedman Conference is the flagship of the Australian sort of liberty movement. We have hundreds of people from all over Australia coming together to celebrate the ideas that it made Australia great, so small government, individual freedom, personal responsibility. But this year, it's especially going to be amazing because we're combining with the World Taxpayers Association to have their biennial conference. So the World Taxpayers Association, this is 80 different taxpayer groups from 60 countries and they'll all be sending representatives to Sydney at the end of May to join with us and for an absolutely amazing conference. So we're going to have over 100 leaders in free market activism, in politics, in strategy, from the media, from advocacy, from think tanks, joining together for something the likes of which I think Australia hasn't seen. So how do people buy tickets to this event? Very, very simply, they can go to the website, which is alssc.com.au. They can buy a ticket there, and all supporters of the Institute of Public Affairs, all listeners to this podcast, can get a 10% discount by entering the coupon code IPA19 upon checkout. All right, that sounds good. That is an absolute bargain for people out there. And even better, because of our very good friends at the Atlas Network, we've also got quite a number of student scholarships and part scholarships available, and not just for students, for people actually under the age of 30. So if people might be thinking, you know, going to Sydney, it's a bit of an expense, especially if you're young, go to the website, go to the scholarship session, and because of the good friends of the Atlas Network, we'll be able to provide hopefully worthy applicants with either a full or a part scholarship. That's fantastic. All right. So let's talk some of the speakers that we've got booked in. Now, I'm biased and I'm always going to be looking forward to some of the IPA speakers that are there, including John Roskam and Scott Hargraves, Daniel Wilde, Kurt Wallace. Uh, but who are some of the other speakers that you personally are looking out for? Look, I mean, from Australia, it's great to have the IPA join us as always. And I actually think this will be the first time John will be speaking at the conference itself. So we're especially excited to have John there, as well as the others think tanks around Australia, so Tom Switzer and the Centre for Independent Studies crew, Mancal always sends a strong delegation, and all of the sort of leaders in free market advocacy from around Australia. But the people I'm particularly interested about are the people from overseas who we don't get the opportunity to see or hear from in Australia. People like Matthew Elliott, who literally ran the Brexit campaign in the United Kingdom. He was the CEO of the Brexit campaign. He's known as the most sort of influential, one of the best political thinkers who won Brexit, and he'll be joining us. Someone like Matt Kibbe in the United States, who was pretty much the brainchild of the Tea Party movement. Like when the Tea Party came um, in the United States sort of those years ago, when it was still more of its sort of small government libertarian roots, it was Matt Kibbe back when he was at FreedomWorks who was really the driving force behind the behind the Tea Party. So it's speakers like that, but it's also speakers I'm interested in from these other countries who um, might not be as well known. People like, you know, from the country of Georgia, which implemented huge tax reform. Um, Not something would ever get the chance to hear about the people behind that coming to join us. Of course, I, you know, going back to the United States, I really like 
Grover Norquist. I think that he's responsible pretty much for the Trump tax reforms and the reforms they had. He's an amazing and hilarious speaker. So it's great to hear him. We have people as well, maybe from outside the sort of standard sort of political spectrum. We've got someone who was a um, E! News, sort of the E! and, and Entertainment News. Um, one of their stars coming to talk about the role between Miriam, between, who has been a millions of views on YouTube, talking about the role between culture and politics and how we need to start engaging and taking through um, culture and winning those sort of battles and the lessons we can take from Hollywood and how we can apply that in activism. So like all of these people trying to talk, whether it's sort of the think tankers or the political people, we're talking about culture. I mean, there's just such a wide mix of people that I'm really excited about. So we've mentioned a few of the speakers there. What other things should um, attendees be looking forward to at the event? What kind of, talk us through the social events and other highlights, things like that. Absolutely. So the, the social events, the highlight is always the gala dinner, which is on the Friday night of this year. And we're also joining with Tax and Super Australia to celebrate their 100th birthday. Now, Tax and Super Australia is actually one of the, is the world's oldest taxpayer group. So we're delighted to uh, celebrate a sort of wonderful evening and uh, celebrating their 100th birthday uh, along Darling Harbour. On the Saturday night, we've got a harbour cruise. We've got so many internationals coming to Sydney. We've got to showcase, I think, the best of what Sydney has to offer and remind people from Melbourne why Sydney is such a great city. Um, so there's a there's Saturday, Saturday, we've got a gala. We've got a sort of dinner alongside Sydney Harbour. There's a cocktail reception earlier for some of the more folks from the internationals. And we've got an optional social day. So this is something which we have done before for the conference. But for people who are able to stay for the Monday, we've got a social day where we're taking people on a trip to the Hunter Valley, one of Australia's leading wine regions. As our very, very good friends and supporters at the Bordley Wines are assisting us with that. We'll be visiting a number of wineries. They're engaging in a lot of wine tasting, you know, barbecue, lunch, spit roast. We're seeing some native Australian animals on the way at one of the wildlife parks we're going to. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, these conferences are good in terms of learning from people. But one of the most fun things is having a drink with someone, having a good time, sort of networking and learning from each other, not in a formal setting, but in a social setting. And I reckon that the wine tour is going to be something that's going to be absolutely amazing. If you are showing off the best of Sydney, are you also going to be stopping serving alcohol just as people are starting to have a good time and making everyone go home really quickly? Uh, we are being people who believe in freedom, going to be doing everything in our power to fight back against the Danny state. So the oppressive governmental regime might want to stop us from drinking. And so we believe as a matter of principle that it is mandatory that everyone has a good time. <laughs> All right, very good. So maybe once again, where can people go buy tickets? The website is www.alsfc.com.au. Enter the coupon code IPA19 on checkout to get a 10% discount. And also for students and young people, check out the scholarship section on the website to try and get either a full or a half scholarship. Also, Tim, I'm not sure if we mentioned the dates. What are the dates of the conference this year? The, the, the dates of the conference, it sort of starts uh, with the international reception on the evening of the 23rd, but the full conference itself is the 24th, 25th, 26th of May in Sydney with the winery and Hunter Valley tour being on the 27th of May. 
All right, sounds great. Make sure you get those tickets. It's always an complete, uh, unmissable event. You definitely want to get down there if you do care about freedom. I mean, those speakers that you are going through right now, that is some fantastic speakers. I really want to hear from all of them. So make sure you're going to the website now and buying some tickets. Now, Tim, you are in Washington, D.C. at the moment. But if I know Tim Andrews, is a man that is uh, across Australian politics. So uh, what else is the ATA thinking about at the moment? Well, the Australian Taxpayers Alliance is obviously focusing on the election and trying to ensure that whatever happens on May the 18th, we're going to end up with a situation which is good for taxpayers. We're actually launching this week a new election app so people will be able to see one of our apps on the YouTube, on YouTube, on uh, Google Play or Android. We're going to have a phone app on the election. So hopefully tomorrow, if people go to the Australian Taxpayers Alliance website, which is taxpayers.org.au, you can check out our app, which will provide you with up-to-the-minute information about key policies, key costings, what taxpayers should be aware of, what great new taxes or wasteful spending or pork barrelling is being proposed, and that'll be our involvement for the election. So it's a little bit of a new thing for us. We're sort of pushing the boundaries of our political advocacy, but we think this is a really, really important time when we seem to in many ways have a bipartisan consensus, the bigger government, to try and stand up to taxpayers against this. That sounds awesome. People should definitely check that out. And what are you doing in Washington at the moment, Tim? I'm, well, I'm looking forward to counting my days when I'm coming back to Sydney um, and Australia in a, in a week and a bit. But I'm doing taxpayer work in the United States. So I'm currently doing some work primarily actually focusing on unaccountable international organizations. So I'm working for a group called the Taxpayers Protection Alliance here. But one of the projects I'm really proud of, it's called ITO Watch, International Governmental Organization Watch. So these are groups like the World Health Organization, the IMF, the EU, the OECD, all of these groups that take our taxpayer dollars spend it on God knows what, usually first-class travel and expensive hotel rooms, and they use our taxes to try and tell us what we need to do in our own country and lobby for more nanny state policies, lobby for bad policies. These are organisations that want to, now look at the World Health Organisation at the moment, that wants international meat taxes, that wants to ban bacon, that considers bacon literally as bad for your health as plutonium if you look at their cancer they literally have bacon and plutonium in the same category. But you look at what they do, they spend more money on travel than they do on things like hepatitis, tuberculosis, HIV, and, and, and well, the, tuberculosis, HIV, you know, all of these medical diseases combined. So they've completely given up on anything to do with health in this one instance, and all they seem to do is want to impose taxes on people, and they're paid for by our taxes. So... I'm really interested in looking at looking at just these unelectable global bureaucracies, and that's what I'm having a bit of fun working with in DC at the moment. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. As I said, counting down days till I'm back in Australia soon for the conference. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. All right, so I've only got one more question because I know you're halfway through the latest Game of Thrones episode, and I don't. I want to let you get back to that, but uh, so. Another election that just happened was in New South Wales and uh, a bit of a mixed bag for libertarians because we didn't see David Lionhelm and Peter Phelps uh, get into parliament, but we did see a seat go to Keep Sydney Open Party, which have a strong anti-lockout campaign. So what did you make of uh, no, this? They, they, they didn't get a seat. Oh, they didn't. Oh, so uh, absolutely terrible. This is awful. All right. Yeah. So what did you no, make of we, the we, New we, South we, Wales we, election? We, we, oh, I mean, it's unfortunate that in the upper house, um, the sort of pro-liberty candidates like Peter Phelps, like Keith Sidney Open, like David Lionel, didn't get up. I mean, 
And especially where it was looking so good throughout the count. So both David and Tyson keep sitting open. And then at the last minute, everything just sort of went to pieces. So it's not a good result for libertarians or people who like liberty that way. But I'm hoping to see people like, I mean, the New South Wales Treasurer, Dom Perrottet, who's also speaking at our conference, um, he's someone who has constantly spoken to the need for tax reform and to reduce the burden of taxation. I think the strong vote um, for parties like Sydney Open, even though they didn't get up, has sent their government a message, as has all the protest votes in regional areas. Where And hopefully the government will realise that this sort of big government policies don't necessarily have that electoral appeal. So hopefully they'll keep some working on good policies like tax reform and they'll jettison some of the horrendous attacks on civil liberties or on many state policies that we've seen in the, in the lead up to the election. We'll see hopefully a more sort of liberty agenda. I'm not necessarily that hopeful, um, but that's what I hope will happen. But um, that's, again, why one of the things that we're going to be focusing on at the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. All right, fantastic. Tim Andrews, Executive Director of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. Make sure all of our listeners, uh, sorry, to all the listeners out there, make sure you're going and getting your tickets to this conference. You do not want to miss it. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Tim. Okay, thank you to Tim Andrews and Gideon Rosler for those interviews. Make sure you're going to ipa.org.au to read more of Gideon's stuff about the Peter Reid case. And make yeah. sure you're going to ALS fc.com.au to get your tickets for the Freedman Conference. Yeah, just Google sure Freedman Conference. In. Yeah, Google Freedman Conference, either one. Uh, but I get the URL. So, Tim, if you are listening, I'm the better friend. But uh, And also make sure you're putting in that promo code to get those discount tickets for IPA supporters out there uh, because you don't want to miss this conference. All right, Very uh, generous offer. Yes. Uh, let us fly through some stories that made us laugh this week. And, Pete, I reckon we should probably start with the Queensland government. Well, I think we should start with the Queensland government. Junk food advertising will be banned from billboards that train stations and transport owned by the Queensland government. This is movie is part of the state government's program aimed at increasing the number of Queenslanders with a healthy body weight by 10% by 2016. What if I don't want a healthy body weight? Yeah, exactly. I like how it's now a government problem. Okay, we need... And it's such like an arbitrary 10% figure. Yeah. We need people to be 10% healthier. What? Yeah, 5%? Nah, let's go for 10%. Why, what if I just want to drink Bundy and yeah. bash cane toads and eat 12 tw- cheeseburgers a day? Yeah, exactly. I, I also like the idea that people, unless they see junk food advertising, forget what junk food is. Like they've had a few beers and they're on a train and they suddenly don't see a billboard and they're like, you know what? I do want that stick of celery. I've completely... What is that McDonald's restaurant over there? Exactly right. I know oh, Hungry that Jacks. I've never heard tell of a Hungry Jack before. I know I need KFC. I don't need a ju- I don't need a notice board to tell me billboard even. Anyway, yeah. so Mr. Uh, Mr. Mills, the politician, would apply. Said that the ban would apply to about two thousand billboards, which would rake in millions of dollars each year for the government. Lynn Hamill from Diabetes Queensland says reducing children's exposure to bright and colourful packaging of unhealthy foods will mean they will want them less often. Tenuous. Yeah. yeah. Very I think tenuous. The fact claim. that they're tasty might. Also be a factor in why people want them. Yeah, Lynn Hamill, the fact that they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, and also, it doesn't include sporting stadiums because, yeah, because like, uh, that's hard. That'd be difficult. So these billboards that, like, thousands of people see at Suncorp Stadium, yeah. that's just a little bit too hard, so we're not going to bother with those. Yes, exactly. So this is 2,000 billboards all up are going to be affected by this. And I also like uh, the quote from Miles saying, uh, this is really about the government saying we're going to lead by example. <laughs> I think it's about the government saying that people are stu- too stupid to make their own decisions and yeah. we need to do it for them. 10%. And there's a lot of fat politicians. Yes. So <laughs> that's not the. I don't know if that's the line. Yeah, that's the line. So until you guys figure out your porky pies. I don't want to take we'll advice advice from these people that are clearly unhealthy. Okay. That's, 
Not all uh, of them, you know. Look, uh, look, Tony Abbott's pretty fit. Tony Abbott is pretty fit. He can tell me what to do health-wise, but... Well, right. no, <laughs> that's not mine. Anyway, your turn. All right, all right. So, <laughs> Pete, with <laughs> until we... Politicians are fat, so... <laughs> So there you go. Well, there's our pull quote for hey this week. That got a little serious, so let's uh, save this with Burning Man. Burning Man. Well, this is serious as well well, because Burning Man is important to everyone. (laughs) Burning Man is a – it actually got described in this Vanity Fair piece as the annual libertarian hootenanny, which I think means party, but it's a big music festival. Gigantic music festival. Held 100 miles outside Reno, Nevada. Yeah, it is – like if people don't know what Burning Man is, just Mm. picture the fall of Rome – yeah, in a good way. <laughs> debatable. <laughs> and just picture some out there music and a lot of synthetic drugs. That's that right. That would be how I would describe Burning Man. And in, when it's actually on, Burning Man is the third biggest city in Nevada. Yeah. So there's obviously Las Vegas, then Reno, then Burning Man for the three weeks that it's on or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, they're you facing... You could not pay me to go, but anyway. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I reckon it'd be awesome. Not, so anyway, Burning Man are facing uh, difficulties with the Bureau of Land Management uh, in Nevada because they want to make them do all these environmental prevention uh, practices, including, ironically, so obviously Burning Man have applied for a 10-year permit on the area that they use, which is wilderness area and owned by the government. They've given them a 400-page environmental impact statement that they have to adhere to. Mm -hmm. One of the suggestions of that statement is to build a 9.5-mile concrete wall. (laughs) What is it with the walls, people? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, they want to build a wall. They also want to increase car searches, adding dumpsters and trash cans around the camp and along the road to the event and requiring Burning Man organisers to hire more security. The organisers said this will cost them $20 million per festival and it flies in the face of the beautiful idea of the festival which has this leave no trace principle which means there's no garbage collection. Everyone just takes their own trash home with them. Uh, it's a libertarian paradise for a couple of weeks a year and ironically being ru- ruined by the government. Yeah. Uh, well, why do they need a wall? Like, it's in the middle of a desert. Like, what's being kept in, what's being kept out? Uh, they want... They want... They reckon... The, and it's called a trash wall. Right. So the wall, the wall is meant to, I think... Like, if trash blows away... Oh, okay. It blows into the wall. But they've already got a fence that yep. they say serves that And purpose. it has to be concrete. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> plastic bags, known for their ability to get through wood in five seconds flat. Well, look, let's not get into the definitions of what a wall <laughs> yeah. is because we know where that leads. But, um, yeah, look, it's just ironic that this beautiful thing that doesn't need the government and thousands of people from all over the world, like 70,000 people, like it's a massive festival. Yeah. And now it's being ruined by these people. I also like this. Um, so the people that organise Burning Man put out a call to arms to all of their supporters on their mm. website. Uh, their website published a nearly 7,000 word fact check of the environmental proposal, a roughly mm. 1,300 word call to action and an almost 1,000 word guide on how to submit a great comment in response to the Department of Environment's uh, impact statement, uh, mm. which burners have until April 29th to do so. 7,000 word fact check of the proposal, 1,300 word call to arms, nearly 1,000 words on how to submit a great content. Burning Man, do you know who your clientele is? Well... Like, which Burning Man attendee can read more than 45 words in a row without getting distracted by I, Your constant, uh, what's the word, vilification of the burners. <laughs> yeah. I've had enough of it, James. <laughs> it is a lot of words. Burning, any Burning Man attendee that can get through a 7,000-word report, call in. There's I want to know what your deal is. There's probably billionaire startup libertarians that go to this They're thing. microdosing. But, look, it is a lot. It does seem like they should have made that a little bit more... Um, yeah. But it isn't, you know, isn't that great in America? As much fun as I make of Burning Man, and by, like I, I could go on for some time. Like obviously, I'm supporting their ability, like their right to do this festival, Sun's Wall. That's right. Uh, Bil- yeah, without yeah. building the wall. Yeah, 
don't build that wall. And I like that they're called burners. People who go are called burners. Yeah, burnouts, I would call them. But anyway, Ooh, uh, I have another one for you. So Diane Abbott, uh, one of the leading people in the UK Labor Party, always good for content. Mm. No one has done more train wreck interviews than Diane Abbott in the last five years, I would say. Uh, and she has recently been caught drinking a mimosa on a train. That is uh, really endearing uh, her to me at the moment, actually. Um, so she's on the train. Obviously, you can't drink on public transport in the UK. And uh, But Diane, when Diane wants a mimosa, Diane gets a mimosa. It's time. Yeah. So she was caught by the Sun. Uh, someone took a photo of her and sent it to the Sun newspaper, and she's since apologised. Uh, choice of drink, James, what do you think? Mimosa? Like, uh, that, that's the only thing for me, Like, because you know, this just seems like, nothing story but is a mimosa the fanciest drink that's ever been drunk on a on a train well ever? it was a mimosa out of a can yeah but still like, like she's sitting i've there seen with a- i've seen a fair few jim beam and coles in my time i've seen a few flasks what do you I've, mean seen like other people Consumed. on the train just you know you're like oh, i need my medicine other, other people okay swing of jim beam and coles i've seen flasks i've seen straight out the bottle of rum but i have never heard tell of a mimosa on a train well i mean i i reckon that I wish we could buy mimosas in a can in Australia. And if yeah. we can, I apologise to those people. But, uh, yeah, look, interest, I mean... A mimosa. I reckon she should be able to have as many mimosas as she wants, yeah. Diane Abbott, on the like, train. Has anyone ever drunk, like, a glass of Grange on a train, do you reckon? Uh, Just, like, a really fancy wine. A little plastic cup? Top hat. Maybe on the way to the races or something? No, I want an actual glass. If you're drinking Grange out of a plastic cup, something's gone terribly wrong in your life. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't that know. might be a little extreme, but... Uh, Apologies no, to all that. our listeners out there who yeah, drink, drink fancy wines out of... You also call in. I want to talk to Burning Man people and I want to talk to uh, fancy wine people. Yeah. All right, uh, I got one more for you, Pete, uh, unless you had any. No. All right, cool. Um, now, the Mueller report came out. Mueller report, the big thing, did Trump collude with Russia? It's come out. Turns out, no, but, uh, you know, people are still trying to, like, uh, just go, you know, connect dots that Mueller himself didn't do and just say, you know, if this was true, then why? Anyway, a lot of Twitter threads have been uh, birthed out of the Mueller Report. I want to read one, Pete, uh, from Seth Abramson. Now, Twitter okay. threads, you know, I, I think we all know what Twitter threads are. If there are people that don't know what a Twitter thread is, if you have uh, a thought that just can't be conveyed in the amount of characters that Twitter restricts you to, mm-hmm. uh, then you can reply to yourself, and that's called a Twitter thread if you just keep on going and going and going. Now, Pete, what would be an acceptable length of Twitter thread for you? I think once you get to three or four, you should find a different format. Three or four? Nina, what would be your acceptable Twitter link, Twitter thread length? Yeah, three or four. All right, I'm a strict one. I don't think to, I've never seen a Twitter thread where I thought I'm glad that was more than one tweet. Okay, uh, really? So Seth Abramson, uh, he had a few thoughts about the Mueller report. Uh, 451. 451. 451 Twitter thread. Dude, just write a blog post and link us to that. That is a ridiculously long Twitter thread. Who's Seth Abrams when he's at home? So Seth Abramson is a lawyer and a professor at the University of New Hampshire, and he's a columnist with Newsweek. He's a New York best, New York Times bestselling author. Mm. Uh, there's just simply no reason to go on a Twitter thread that long. Especially when you're I've a never, columnist. Yeah, I've never had a 450-word thread thought about anything. Like, yeah. I couldn't talk about Game of Thrones for that long. So what were the responses? Were people like... Uh, I think it's mainly just people going like, dude, Jill. 
No one's read all of them. No one's read all of them. I don't think he read all of them. I think he kind of mailed in the 100 to 200 just knowing, like, I don't think anyone's still here. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that was pretty funny. All right, that is it for the show this week. Thanks again to Tim Andrews and Gideon Rosner for those interviews. Make sure you're getting your tickets to the Freedman Conference. You don't want to miss that at all. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast, available on all good podcast apps. Make sure you're getting the word out. Make sure you're telling your friends and family about the show. Best way to start a podcast, best way to grow a podcast is through word of mouth. Sorry, Uh, you know, just get the word out there. Uh, And if you are listening through Apple or uh, iTunes, make sure you're leaving us that five-star review. You can also leave a comment for the show. Nina, if people want to uh, support the IPA even further, where can they go to become a member and where can they go to donate if they already are a member? Well, you can just go to the website. So. <laughs> I like the idea that Nina was trying to remember. It's I like, was like, oh. oh. How do they do it again? I've only said it about 100 times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can visit the website, sapiadoc.au, and if you want to donate, just click on the donate button. And if you would like to become a member or you would like to ask your friend to become a member, uh, just click on the join button. And starting as low as $22 per year, you can become one of the loudest voice of freedom in Australia. Very cool. See you guys next week. Say up. You know I cherish you, my love. Yeah, I cherish you.